Company this morning. We are studying prophetic things. We are studying now, right now, the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, Millennial Kingdom. There's a whole lot of people want to bring it in, bring it in, and install it on planet Earth, but they don't want Jesus Christ to be any part of it. Uh, they want to, to see the authority that is set up. They want to have that authority. Uh, in other words, they call it Marxism. That's what they want to do with it. But they want to, to bring it all in, and they want to establish a millennium here on Earth without Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is, without Jesus Christ, there is no millennial kingdom. There is no lion laying down with the lamb. There is none of those things that they so uh, desperately want to bring into existence. But it is prophetic, so that means that it is uh, our understanding comes from the Holy Spirit. He has promised to lead us into all truth and show us things to come. Now, this is so very important in this day and time in which we live because we are in the middle of a mess. I think anybody that that uh, is not living in a cave um, or somewhere off in the mountains somewhere has to realize that, that the, the world has been turned upside down. They call good evil and evil good, and that's part of the end times. That's part of the prophecies of the last days. So, in order to understand the Word, we have to be connected to the one who is the author and, and inspirer of it. So, let's take this few moments of prayer to be sure that we are ready to listen to what God's Word has to say. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're so blessed and we are so privileged to be able to just be called your kids because of your grace and the work of your Son. Father, so many people on this planet who have lived just did not realize it and do not realize it. And Father, what we ask is that we as your kids would live as your kids, that we would be examples for all those to see, that we would be examples of grace and not just grace and love, but of righteousness and justice. That we would know how to distinguish and discern the difference between good and evil. Father, I pray that this morning you'd grant us understanding, retention, and application as we uh, study your word. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at a whole series of events. What happens at the rapture? This goes all the way back several weeks or months to point F. The end time nations. I'm sure you can remember those. King of the north, king of the south, kings of the east, king of the west, Israel, religious Babylon, and prophetical or economic Babylon. The end time entities that needed to be in place for the tribulational period to occur. We saw in point H the events following the rapture on earth. We've been through and looked at Daniel's 70th week. We've looked at the events of the tribulation. We've been studying that verse by verse as we go through the book of Revelation. And we know that following the, two th actually on the 2,521st day is whenever the Lord begins to conquer his enemies and establish what we know as the millennial, the 1,000-year kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we're looking at now. 
Now we saw that the, the millennium actually begins with the final battle of Armageddon. We've been through that several times. Hopefully you can remember it and I don't even need a picture. Hopefully you got a mental picture up here to go with it and you can, you can see me draw it with my hands. Okay? Here's the Dead Sea. Here is Jerusalem. Over here is the Mediterranean Sea. To the north of Jerusalem, you have the king of the west. To the south of the Dead Sea, you have the kings of the east. You have the king of the north that's already passed through and defeated the king of the south. And then he gets rumors that he's about to get his supply lines cut off. He turns back and lays siege to Jerusalem. I got him turned around. East. Okay, I'm... I'm all right, just play like you're a mirror. Okay, anyway, turn all that around. Now, see, if you knew it was turned around, that's a good sign. See, that's really a good sign. You had something in in your head. Let's see, what is that Dead Sea over here and Mediterranean over here? Does that look better? It looks really weird from this side. But anyway, that's how we... <laughs> North is north. Okay. Up, up in my map. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what we have is everything goes dark. Sun goes out. Lord comes back. We just saw that in Revelation 19 last week. And we see that he comes back and uh, calls fire down out of heaven, defeats the king of the north, just takes them out supernaturally. They're basically atheists. We see him speak and shut up the Antichrist, the king of the West. I'm going to show you a word, second session, that is whenever uh, the Lord takes hold of the beast and the false prophet and chunks them into the lake of fire. Takes hold of is a word that is really kind of neat. And I'm going to save it for you, but it's really a neat word to say what he does. And so then he, he just speaks, one little word shall fail him. Then the kings of the east is hand-to-hand combat because they think they'll win everything by sheer numbers, and they won't. So the judgments fit the crimes, fit the big problems. But the biggest problem is they're all anti the God of the heavens that we know as Jehovah Elohim. So that is who we worship. And the whole world turns against him at that point in time except those who are his followers and who are holed up in that little town of Jerusalem. So the millennial kingdom begins with the final battle of Armageddon. It'll last a thousand years. All things will be subject to Christ. We remember that. It is designed to complete and fill all the covenants to Israel because you have the Abrahamic covenant. They've yet to receive all that land that was promised to Abraham. It'll fulfill the Davidic covenant. Now, the Davidic covenant, he's going to have to be brought back from the dead to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. So some people say, well, the the Old Testament didn't teach resurrection. Excuse me. How are these promises going to be literally fulfilled unless they are brought back from the dead? Hebrews 11 even talks about it. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Okay? Knowing that they were going to. That, that is a picture of resurrection and walking by faith and knowing that there's something beyond this life and God has some promises for those who are His. Palestinian covenant, certain portions of that land, and the new covenants to Israel and to the church. We see also that there were certain spiritual characteristics. We've looked at those and went through them and 
There will be certain physical characteristics, which we also saw certain things are going to happen about the lion and the lamb and and uh, agricultural prosperity. There's going to be another population explosion. It's going to replenish the earth. And here's where we are. There's going to be various authorities. Now, as we've studied through the the, the study of rewards for the believer, there, there, there are three phases to the Christian life. The first one's the moment you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There you are saved eternally from the penalty for sin, never to be revoked. But then we still have the battle of the power of sin. That's called the Christian life. It is phase two, as we as we would call it or designate it, phase two. The second phase, after you have been born again, then you have to grow up. And so phase two is a matter of, of growth. And that's an ongoing battle with the power of sin for the rest of our life. But phase three is eternity. And that is uh, removal of the presence of sin. There's no longer going to be a presence of sin. Millennial kingdom is still going to be a phase two situation for those who have survived the tribulation and are part of repopulating the earth. But how is the, the millennial kingdom going to going to look? What's it going to look like? How's it going to shake out? And to, to be honest, there's a whole lot of stuff here, a whole lot of blanks to be filled in. But the Lord said, I'll get you there. And then he's going to establish there in the millennial kingdom. He's going to establish a new set of laws. Now, they're not going to violate the moral code. They're not going to change any of that. God is God and that's who he is. But there's going to be laws. But how do, I, how do we know that? Because Hebrews 7:12 says where there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law and the priesthood changes for the millennial kingdom. So with that comes a new set of laws and we'll see exactly what those are because we don't really know. Uh, we know from Ezekiel 40 through 48, it'll be the, the priesthood line after the, the Zedekite line and it's going to be different. But how different? We don't know. Will they be offering sacrifices? Yes. Uh, but they're not going to offer them for, with the same symbolism as they did uh, when Israel was established as a nation on Sinai. It's not going to be the same symbolism at all. So we're going to have a new set of laws to go with that. Now, the world will have a theocracy with Jesus Christ as king. Theocracy means rule of God. Jesus Christ will be king. We saw that last week. As for me, I've installed my king on Mount Zion, my holy mountain. David will rule as regent in Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is David's son. See, but guess who's going to be subservient to the Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus is the, the big dog. He is definitely uh, the one who is in charge. But guess who's sitting right there next to him? David. Now, how did that come about? Had to be resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, at the end of the age, those who sleep in the dust shall awake, and he's going to raise David. He's going to bring him back from the dead, and he's going to install him on his throne in Jerusalem. David will be in a new body. Then And David's new body won't be able to sin. There's not going to be any Bathshebas in David's life. 
Put it real simply, not going to be any temptation like that because this new body, and you think about the new, how can a new body not be able to sin? <clears throat> the best answer I've seen is that God gave us His righteousness at the moment of salvation. And that's the imputation of righteousness. He was given His righteousness, but we still have a sin nature that's doing battle with it. And the Holy Spirit talks about the battle in Galatians 5. The flesh sets his desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, because they are at war with one another. Okay, but what happens when this flesh is changed, this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruptibility, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, what happens? We now have God's righteousness without any inside temptation to it, without any battle going on. How is God, being God, who has absolute volition and the freedom to choose, how does he not sin? Because he's absolute unbridled righteousness. See? God, God doesn't sin. God is not able to sin. But how does this all work together? We have to really stop and think about this because some people say, well, Jesus sinned and he just got saved. No, he didn't. Then he'd need a Savior just like we did. So here is God that became flesh and dwelt among us. We know him as, as Jesus. And when we come back, because we're going to be back in our new body, and we will not be able to sin. Now, isn't that a, worth a hallelujah? You know, that's that's what it's... What, yeah, praise the Lord, because it's not anything we did. Uh, has anybody in here ever fought sin? I think we could all raise our hands. We don't need a specific list of what we've all had to fight. But we know we've all fought sin in our life, whether it's mental sins, verbal sins, uh, overt sins. We have all fought sin in our life. But you know, you're not going to have to fight it from the inside and the temptations of the world aren't even going to be temptations to you anymore. That's hard for us to imagine. To imagine. But that's eternity. That's eternal life. That's in the new Jerusalem. Life in the new Jerusalem. That is something that we will... It'll take some getting used to probably, but I, I imagine it'll take 30 minutes or so, you know, to realize that, hey, that's not a temptation anymore at all. Now, why is that important? Because we're going to be part of those. Hopefully, we will have enough rewards that we will have a position of authority and we will be able to judge righteously as the Lord has called us to do. Now, <clears throat> the twelve apostles will be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And they have been told that. and it's They're all Jews anyway. So it's not like they've got a Gentile or a foreigner ruling over them. But the, the twelve apostles will be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I believe there's only twelve because there's twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles, one for each. Plus when we get into Revelation 21, 22, there they are with the uh, the gates and you know, it's named after the, the twelve apostles is what it says. I think there's only twelve who had that gift of apostleship. So they're going to be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, were the, weren't the apostles perfect on earth? <clears throat> Not by a long shot. You know, that was a... 
a group of people Jesus could send out to goof up, and they goof up on the way out. They really had problems with their thoughts, their speech, their 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 actions. They got some things under control, but they they were a band of ragamuffins at best. But they're going to be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Hmm. Don't you think that they need some uh, perfect judges? Because that's what they'll be in resurrection body. Now, the church, this is where we left off. The church will rule with Jesus Christ. Revelation 2.26, he who overcomes. <clears throat> he who keeps my deeds until the end. To him I'll give authority over the nations. Now, this is the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Here it is. And he shall rule them, shepherd them. Once again, that word... They, somebody decided a long time ago to translate that word as rule. And it's a word that means shepherd. With a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my Father. This is Jesus walking in the middle of the lampstands. Revelation 3.21. <clears throat> he who overcomes, <clears throat> I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame... And sat down with my father on his throne. So here we are as the church. And this is promise for overcomers. Now not every believer is going to be in a position of authority in the millennial kingdom. Why? Because they squandered it away. They wasted their inheritance. They did not follow the Lord and seek to do the things that are pleasing in his eyes. They were the prodigal that never came back. Is who they were. And they, they wasted their inheritance in the process. We also have Revelation 20, verse 6. Boy, that one's coming up soon. Blessed and holy, who has is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So look at the church. Priest of God and of Christ. And have a position of rulership with him for a thousand years. Now, <clears throat> that's part of the blessing for the church. Other lesser authorities are going to exist. In Luke 19, this is uh, uh, explained. The principles taught here in Luke 19, verse 11. And <clears throat> I'm not just going to blow through these verses. These are... These are good passages that back up the points that are made. Revelation 19.11, you look at Revelation 19 and go, oh, this is getting close to the end. Or not Re Revelation, Luke 19. This is getting close to the end of the Gospel of Luke. He says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. See, the disciples had this, this part kind of messed up. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called t ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. 
This is the Lord going to another country to receive his kingdom, and nobody wanted it. He, what did he do? He left heaven for us, came to earth, and they didn't want him then. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first, uh, the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said, well done, good slave. Now, we're normally used to reading through Matthew 25 to run into the parable of the talents. This is similar taught in the gospel of Luke. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. Now, the second came saying, your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him, oh, you're to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, you reap what you didn't sow. I don't think that's a good thing to say to even the boss <laughs> in a human realm. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. At least do something with it. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one that has ten. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. That sounds like a socialist response, doesn't it? I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. These enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Uh, what he is saying here is just like certain uh, servants, bond servants, if you will. I know servant or slave is a really bad word right now, but a bond servant is a really good word. Because it means you've chosen to serve the master because of the greatness of the master. And what we see is, you know, one was given five talents. And what did he do? He made five more talents. Well done. What about the other one just given two? He made two more. What did he get? Well done. Good and faithful bondservant. What about the one with the one talent? He didn't do anything. He buried it just like this guy. And he, Lord got, got rid of him. He didn't do anything. What we find is what the Lord assigns you. There's a reason for it. To some he gives a lot and expects those who are given a lot to do a lot with it. To some he gives less, but he still expects a production to come out of that. He wants it in use. He wants those resources put in use and and order to further his kingdom. Now, <clears throat> that's a very clear thing, that there's, there's going to be other lesser authorities. So while the church has a spot, the apostles have a spot, even as the church, there's going to be a hierarchy, if you will, even in the church. It's interesting that we're all equal in Christ. That's who, that's who we are. But we're all different. And there's nothing wrong with being different. 
Whatever the Lord gives us is what we're supposed to use. Wherever we are born, it's whatever we are, we are supposed to produce from there. We are supposed to do the best with what he has given to us to use. No matter what your skin color is, dare I say that? That's all a matter of we are one race called the human race. We all descend from Adam. Whether you believe it or not, that's the way it is. So, we're just a bunch of genetic differences, is all we are, made in the image of God. We should treat everybody with respect. That should be the bottom line to it. We should treat other people the way we want to be treated. I think they call that the golden rule. Isn't that kind of a duh? Why do we have all these laws? Why do we need all these laws? Because people stop treating others the way they want to be treated. They start cheating them, taking advantage of them, stealing from them. Yeah, that's, that's the problem in the human race. So we have a sin nature that seems to try and justify it. Now, regenerate Israel is going to hold positions of rulership too. Regenerate Israel is going to, part of them are going to be part of the church because who started the church? The Jews. They were the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost. Then another couple of thousand were saved by Peter. Next time he opened his mouth and had something actually good to say, there were people that got saved and they became part of the early church and they went out into other parts of the land and they, they disseminated that along with the Gentiles. But what about the regenerate Israel from prior to the first advent? They're going to have positions of rulership too in this millennial kingdom. Isaiah 14, when the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and again choose Israel and settle them in their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord as male servants and female servants. And they will take their captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. Isaiah 49, this says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. Set my standard to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their bosoms. Your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. And kings will be your guardians. And their princesses, your nurses. They'll bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. You will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. They're going to be strangers that are going to be part of it. But regenerate Israel, believing Israel, going to be part of the rulership of this millennial kingdom. And again, how is this all going to work out? What I know is that the Lord is the sovereign seated on the throne in Jerusalem. He'll assign it. Won't be any big deal. At, and, you know, us in resurrection body won't care. Isn't that nice? To have a resurrection body means you're not going to have envy of what anybody else has. Okay? You're not going to be lording it over those who don't have. It's not part of your new body. Now, some people like it so much they'll really miss that. But that's too bad. Now, what about the nature of Christ's rules? It's going to be universal. 
It's going to be universal. Daniel 7.14 says, I will, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This millennial kingdom will go into the eternal state. It will be transformed into the eternal state after the final cleansing, after the thousand years. It will go from there into eternity. New heavens, new earth will be created, generated. That will be something to behold, won't it? I don't know if we'll get to watch it or not. Because, you know, all the Lord's got to do is close us up in His hand and then be gone to all the heavens and all the earth. Second Peter 3, it'll be burned up. And then it's just going to be like a new creation that as He just says, okay, here it is, heavens and earth. I'm, I'm curious to see that because some people think that God could not have created the heavens instantly as they are. That they, because we're able to watch stars and the motions of stars and calculate the distances, speeds, all this other stuff, because we can do this, then, then it must have taken a lot of time for God to do this. Now, I think He's going to, kind of one of the final things He's going to do, and this just struck me while I'm up here talking, one of the final things, He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. How long is it going to take? That's the question I would ask. How long is it going to take? And I think he's going to show us, give us a replay of just what he did the first time. See? How long is it going to take? Oh, it's already happened. <laughs> it's, it's already there. I have no problem with God going, and it's there. I have no problem. It says he brought the heavens into existence with a word. That's all it took. A word. Be. That's a, did he, have, he didn't even have to say it, did he? He just thought it. And suddenly, you have this, what seems to be infinite universe, which it's not. We know it's finite. It seems to be infinite, though. We have stars traveling at the speed of light. And then they're trillions of light years apart. And I'm going... How long did it take him? That long. That's it. He set everything in motion. He didn't make it look old. I think it got to looking old after the fall of his creatures. And part of the judgment. Uh, the Bible indicates that. Micah 4, verse 1 and 2. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the people will stream to it. Now think about this because all the mountains have gone except a couple. See, when the Bible says that all the mountains flee away, which they did at one of the, one of the bowl judgments, okay, only the Bible, when it makes a universal statement, can make an exception. And there are a couple of exceptions. The Mount of Olives. Because the Lord lands on the Mount of Olives and splits it in two. So when he makes an exception, we have to, to, to do that. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law. Even the word from the Lord of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
Uh, Zephaniah 3. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to the prey. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation. Does that sound like the second advent, the final battles of Armageddon? I mean, isn't that what he's doing? All my burning anger for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. He's going to judge the whole earth. For then I will give to the people's purified lips. Now, a lot of people think, well, my gosh, nobody's ever going to say hell or damn again out of context. (sighs) Give me a break. There's a whole lot worse things that people say that are not politically incorrect, that are blasphemous to God using very long, fancy words. The purified lips means you get rid of all that stuff. He says that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. Psalm 72, may He also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, where's the Lord going to rule from? All of it. It's going to be marked by impartial righteousness and justice. This is a powerful thing to think about because we have people running around today calling for justice and they want to bring it about about by injustice. I say, that's a problem. Two wrongs do not make a right. I was taught that since I was a kid. Okay, well, he, he hit me. So I'm going to hit him. No, you're not. (laughs) Vengeance is not yours. (laughs) You will be repaid, (laughs) saith mom. (laughs) So that's the the way that works. But here is the, this is, how about impartial righteousness and justice? Isaiah 11, 3 to 5. Isaiah 11. Oh, that might sound a little bit familiar. Stem shall shoot forth from Jesse. Verse 3, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the stem from Jesse, the branch. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision about it what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. Now, what is that saying? He knows the thoughts and intents of man. Right? Because a lot of people say the right things... But their heart is far away. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away. So when he judges, he's going to know the motives. He's going to know the intents. And he says he'll judge the poor. Because it's sometimes the poor have really bad attitudes and they need justice. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Okay, When they are mistreated and abused, like James 5 says they will, by the super rich of the last days, he will judge that. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Now that's when he takes out the final. That What happens at the second advent is absolute justice. And what has he displayed? What has he been displaying <clears throat> for 2,000 years? Justice. And righteousness, but grace. Some peoples demand grace. 
They want, they want, they get, they sin. They know they sin. They hurt somebody. They harm somebody. And then, well, you're a Christian. You got to give me grace. Hmm. Well, the ones that start demanding grace are the ones you have to watch out for. <clears throat> Isaiah 25, verse 2. For you have made a city, you as a capital Y, big, big Y there. For you have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It'll never be rebuilt. Sounds like it's talking about economic Babylon. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless. Remember when the Lord stood up and spoke in the synagogue when he was introducing his ministry? You find it there in Luke chapter 4. He came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Help to the needy, help to the helpless. That's, that's who he is. Quoted from Isaiah 61. And he says, it'll never be rebuilt. He says, a defense for the needy and his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat in drought, you do subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. So when he brings it about, Second Advent is going to do that. Now, that's going to get everybody's attention for a pretty good period of time. You can count on that in the Millennial Kingdom with the Lord seated on the throne in Jerusalem. All rulers will be unified. Now, can you imagine that on the earth? It's a theocracy because Jesus is God. God is at the head. That means that the political system is set up with one ruler of the earth. But it has others who carry out his edicts. Ezekiel 38. This is an amazing passage. It's the passage where Ezekiel sees all these bones laying out on the desert. And they're all scattered out all over the place. And golly, they start coming together. You sometimes look at Ezekiel and you wonder, what kind of stuff was he smoking? I mean, if you <laughs> Ezekiel 1, the, uh, the vision, how about Ezekiel 10, same type of thing with the chariots and all the, the, all the um, uh, transportation, divine transportation. Then you get to Ezekiel 34 and he starts to warn those, those bad shepherds that were not looking out after Israel. In 37... He's talking about Israel coming back together. 34 through 36, he's talking about them being dispersed. Okay? And then he starts talking about bringing them back. He introduces it in 36, I think it's verse 22, when he says, I'm bringing you back not because of who you are, but because of my holy name. When he starts bringing Israel back, they are still a mess spiritually. And he starts bringing them back. And then here is the picture of the dry bones parable, if you will. And he brings them all back together and then breathes into them the breath of life. He brings them back from the dead is what it's saying. And he says, and my servant David will be king over them. They will all have one shepherd. They will walk in my ordinances keep my statutes and observe them. Now, if we were to track these words back, statutes, ordinances, observation, we'd end up back 
at Genesis 26, 5, where God was telling Isaac, Because your father Abraham kept my charge, he obeyed my statutes, my commandments, and my Torah, and my laws. That's the first time most of those words are used. So what is, because when I first went through that, I thought, okay, I'm going to look back. I'm going to do a concordance study. I'm going to find out what laws, statutes, ordinances that it, huh? You don't find a specific word. So you start looking at that and you're going, Abraham, who was Abraham? He was a mess. But what did he do? He brought the sacrifices with the right heart. And that's part of why he got blessed so very much he says they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant in which your fathers lived they will live on it they their sons their sons sons forever and David my servant will be their prince forever and I will make a covenant of peace with them now what's the antichrist done three and a half years earlier he's made a covenant of death only they don't know it they would think covenant of peace but the Lord's the one that makes it I'll make a covenant of peace with them it'll be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever there's going to be a millennial temple they're going to be lined around that temple they're going to have their places like the around the tabernacle in the desert it's already assigned Ezekiel 40 through 48 they know where they're going to be. They don't. Have, nobody's got to go, Lord, where do you want us? <laughs> it's already laid out in Ezekiel. My dwelling place also will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. All the rulers are going to be unified the kings of the earth, the different people put in charge, the planners. It's not leftover kings from the tribulational period that were unbelievers. That's not what it's talking about. The kings of the earth is going to involve people who are either saved and they have gone out to be kings of the earth. They are believers to start with. Or it's going to be, in part, the rulership of those with the church uh, Israel, ancient Israel, the believers prior to the first advent. Now, <clears throat> that's the nature of his rule. Specifics, we don't have them. Got a good friend, a pastor, done a lot of work on this, uh, Gary Glennie, and he's, he, when you start getting down at what are the specifics, he says, we're going to have to find out. We're going to have to find out. See, we still got to walk by faith, don't we? Millennial humanity, this is a good place to uh, call an end to this one. What's it going to be like? One of the things that we have to remember, we run into it overseas a lot, is that a lot of people think in the millennium it'll be only people in resurrection body. They, they, they don't, and they, as a result, they don't know how people are going to have children. They don't know um, how people are going to sin. Uh, they, they don't think anybody will ever die. A lot of them think nobody will die in the millennium. That's not what it says. 
They have to remember that coming out of the tribulation, from Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats, the sheep will inherit the kingdom. Those are human beings, just like you and I, with sin natures, and they're all saved. That includes the 144,000 male virgin Jews. Now, they are not in resurrection body when they come through the tribulation. They are in a human body. So there will be longevity increased. We already covered that. They're going to get older, but they're still going to die. That's the reason that we have a resurrection after the millennium that is part of the, the fourth stage of the first, what's called the first resurrection. So what about millennial humanity? We'll talk about that some next, next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this day, for your blessings, for your and Father, uh, we know that the, the biggest tests are keeping our eyes focused on you in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation. Father, I pray that we would be the reflected light of our Lord Jesus Christ that would light the way for others. And we know they might not follow it, but Father, we pray that we would be the example that you would have us to be and that whenever you come back, you would find us doing what we should be doing all along. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.